Hey everybody, this is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thank you so much to everybody who listened to the last episode on... I don't remember what I did my last episode on, because I'm I'm just bad at this, man. Um, But the last episode on... Oh, Hakata, Hakata Ramens, which, if you haven't heard it, it's in the feed right below this one. I had a lot of fun talking about that show. That show kind of crept up on me in terms of what I wanted to talk about. I was planning on talking about something different, but um, actually, no, I wasn't, because I talked about... um. I don't know if you can tell. I don't do a whole lot of planning for this show. Uh... And that's partially because I just don't. I this is a thing I do for fun. I mean, I put ads on it because why not? But it's a I love. I've always loved anime and animation and art and all that stuff. So I threw this thing together. Um, originally as a podcast, it was supposed to be an interview podcast. That was the first iteration, and then it slowly devolved into a conversation with some friends for a while and now it's me talking about cartoons on the internet we always knew we were going to be here if you've been listening to me from the start in some way first i'm sorry second thank you so um if you want to listen to the previous podcast on um hakata Ra- on hakata tonkatsu ramen that is the last episode in the feed before this one. But if I seem like I'm being a little bit more autobiographical, that's for a reason. And part of that reason has to do with the show we're going to talk about, kind of. And that show is Wizard Barristers. <laughs> Now, I I kind of lied in the title of this show because I can kind of sum up Wizard Barristers in a couple of minutes, although with me it'll probably take a lot of minutes. I could probably do a whole episode just on that, but we're not going to really focus solely on Wizard Barristers as a show because it's a 2014 courtroom drama with magic masquerading as an adventure anime. <laughs> and it starts this 17-year-old girl who's, like, her mother was locked away for a secret reason, and on and on down the line, you know, mag- wizards exist, but magic is illegal, and there are some interesting things in the show, but it's kind of clumsy, and it's kind of insane-looking. But somebody who had Something I do want to talk about with it is the show's director. And if you know where I'm going with this, then congratulations and welcome to the Nightmare Hell Ride. But um, I want to talk about Yasuomi Umetsu. And Yasuomi Umetsu is... If you know about him, you know about him hard. If you don't, 
buckle up. Because Yasuo Miyumetsu, he has made since, um, let me see if I can pull up his, like, disco- his discography, so to speak. Um, he has made shows since the, he has been an animator, kind of, pretty consistently since 1986. It's his, his first Wikipedia entry history thing, and that was on Megazone 23 Part 2, and he was the character, he was the character designer slash animation director, and so, here's the thing about Yasuomi's work, and I, I know I've totally left Wizard Barristers in the dust, but we'll, we'll circle around to it and, like, loop it back in here and there, but I really want to talk about him because I've kind of inadvertently followed him for a lot of my anime career. For good and ill. Um, and some, and lots of people listening to this may have as well. So, Yasumi Yumetsu's character designs are... They're unforgettable. For, the first thing you always notice with his character design is kind of the weird, squished baby faces he gives... Espe- Especially women, but really all of his characters have these, like, very anime-odd proportioned faces to them. The second thing you notice is... So... And I I picked up a lot of this, so for people listening to this who don't know, I spend, I want to say, at least an hour or three a day drawing just straight drawing but since i'm trained since i was trained very early on as a cartoonist and animator i tend to draw figures and characters not even necessarily whole scenes just like figures i lots of times i work them into scenes or i make scenes separately and i like mash them up but my heart is just kind of like basically mental, mentally vomiting things onto my iPad screen of like, this is a character design, move on. This is half a character design, move on. This is like a couple lines that eventually might have been a character design, but I stopped liking it, so move on. But one of the things that I kind of adopted from what lots of people would recognize as like a hentai style is this kind of plasticiness to the skin of characters. And what I mean by that is I use a lot of, like, highlight shines, and sometimes I use, like, what I what I think of as, like, a, like, blemished shine, which is, like, the, the shine fades out into, like, a red and then into, and then into a skin tone. Um, and it, and you'll notice a lot of this stuff in not just in hentai anime, although certainly there, but in anime that has this kind of fetishiness quality to it, and that, that and lots of Ichi anime as well, and lots of times my drawings, when seen by people, are like, like, oh wow, like you're good at this, but also you seem like you're capable of drawing some real lewd stuff, and indeed. Sometimes I do, and it never sees the light of day. But, um, as I want to assure you, most artists do. <laughs> like, most artists are just like, what if I made just a porn star? <laughs> and then just, like, stuck it in the, f- and then it was just in the pile with all the other stuff. Um, another, ar- another artist who has, but Yasumi Umetsu's, like, characters and style echo this kind of... Oh, shut up, Echo. Um, echo this kind of hentai styling, and they have this really, really, like, exaggerated eyes and, like, and have these, like, plastic... plasticky, like, blow-up doll 
kind kind of feel to them lots of times. Not not that they look like walking blow up dolls, but that they have that same kind of quality as you imagine in hentai, more or less. And this is kind of apt because one of the reasons why I want to talk about Yasuyumi Metsu and for the most part in this episode, and once again, like Wizard Barrister does have all of the things I just mentioned about his character design, there's like a use of the camera that is disconcerting sometimes. Like the the just the scenes in Wizard Barristers don't need to be there that are purely fan service scenes that um they don't hurt the show but they don't necessarily build character all the time and they just feel like they're there for no one but um and that's another and he does do that in his shows as well like those scenes are in a lot of his shows um but so basically Yasumi Umetsu is probably best known for two properties at this point. Um, the first property he's best known for is this thing called... Actually, the first property probably Kite. And Kite is this, like, uber-violent, uber-sexualized... I think it's one OVA, although I want to say it can also be split into a three-episode OVA depending on where you see it, or where you buy it, or whatever. And Kite was made into a live-action film, I think, in, like, 2015, I want to say, maybe? And it, I'm pretty sure Kite was made into a live-action Don't. I could be wrong on this. But I think it was made by Spike Lee. And it's, like... It, so... There's that, so there's that property. And then there's another property. And the next property is very confusing. It's called, it's called, there's two versions of it. First, first, most infamous version is property, it's called Mezzoforte. And the second one is, I think it's called, just called Mezzo DSA. I've seen both. And the deal with Mezzoforte and Kite is that the way part of the way they got made at all is that they were he made a like extreme deal with the devil. I'm like, I want to make these things. I need to find somebody who make these things. And I forget what the production company was for them, but um, he made he made these things and. So, uh, Metal Forte was in 2001, by the way. Um, he, I'm just looking to see if I can find the... Oh, so he made these things with, um, with Green Bunny. And if you know anything about Green Bunny, you know they're a hentai studio. And the idea was that these were these fully fleshed out OVAs with hentai themes in them... That could just disappear and it wouldn't hurt the story. And I, so the idea was that he could make this big idea. And it just had to have, like, I think Mezzoforte. It doesn't have very many hentai scenes in them, in it. But it has maybe one or two per episode. Um, And I forget how many episodes there are. But basically, more or less, it's he made these, and he did the same thing with Kite, and um, so Kite has these hentai scenes in it that you can just swap out, and the whole story will still be intact. And when you look at it like that, you're like, oh wait, he wanted to make these things. But he needed money to make these things because animation is expensive as hell. So he went out and he said, like, I want to make this. Who will let me make this? Hentai company was like, we'll let you make it if you put sex in it. So he 
contain those scenes by themselves instead of like weaving it all the way through like a what I would think of as a what most people would think of as a true hentai anime. But a curious thing happened, as always happens, is that he managed by making these shows in the way he made them, he managed to make of two shows that became kind of infamous outside of the world of anime because they got clipped to hell because people wanted the sex scenes, not necessarily the whole show. And like the sex scene the sex scenes like popped up all over the internet on like Pornhub and all the like por all the porn emporiums of the internet had these scenes. And they are, they're animated with as much quality as the show themselves. So they have this, like, they have that Yasumi Umetsu look, kind of, like, luridness. But because they're sex, but because they're hentai sex scenes, they don't need to, like, be polite about it, if that makes any sense, which is actually feels less weird than when you're watching um than when you're watching something like wizard barristers and they have a perverse frog make a sex joke and grab a 17 year old tits while she's wearing a towel thing that happens and you're just like ah why is this here um and so by making that compromise you got to make these things and if you look at his, um, if you look at his list of works on Wikipedia, you'll kind of slowly come to realize that this guy has done really amazing, amazing stuff. He has done things like, um, he he oh, has worked on really amazing stuff. Um, he's done Lupin the Third, Dead Dead or Alive. He was an animator on that. He has um, done character designs on tons of different things. Um, he had directed his own shows multiple times, like like Mezzo Forte, but also, and I thought this was really interesting. Um, four year, three years after Mezzo Forte like happened, um, he released Mezzo DSA, which is a TV series. In which he was basically freaking everything. Character director, animation director, director. Um, and that is the kind of... That is Mezzo Forte after it's had its hands washed clean of the pornos in it. And I was... And I took a look at it because I'm like, oh, I wonder how this thing works without all the sex. And to be honest, it was weird. And that comes back to the, like, it, his shows have a certain kind of fetishy quality to them. Um, and when that's just straight up porn, it feels less out of place, I guess is what I want to say. Um, he also did... Um, he worked. He worked on, on obviously Wizard Barristers. Um, and he's done all these. He's been he's been director for all these things that you think about and you probably love. You're like, holy shit, I love that. And then you see that you're like, oh, he directed that like that opening or that ending. And I find that really interesting because. I've seen a bunch of his shows, and I've... They're okay. E even when there's sex in them, they're okay. <laughs> but when... He's given, like, a short moment to shine, sometimes he knocks it out of the park. Um, case in point, I think it's in here. It's in here somewhere. I just want to make sure it is... Um... He was the animation director for the opening of Dimension W. 
you know anything about Dementia W, you probably know that opening, because that opening is fucking amazing. It's... I, I can't... If you haven't seen the opening of Dimension W, pause this right now, go to YouTube, type in Dimension W OP, uh, you'll find it right away, and just, like, I'm so happy for you experience that thing and just be like, holy shit! That was amazing! And so, he was the animation director on that. Um, He was the... An- the animation director on all kinds of different things. He's also worked on a bunch of, on a couple different games, including, or my favorite games, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. He was a, he was, um, so for those of you who don't know, um, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has a bunch of like summons you can have and they're different characters, but instead of just having their art department pump out all the different cool designs like the rare blades which are the summons you can get in that game what they did was they went to all the different awesome anime illustrate anime character designers illustrators artists all the different cool people and they said like make us a thing for our game like make us a character design for our game and they went to um, Yasuomi Umetsu, and they said, like, make us a design. I think I might even have, actually have hit the design he did in, like, that character in my game. But it, like, once you know that, you're like, oh, of course that's his. It makes total sense. And so, I probably talked about this before, but I am a... I may have trained to be a animator and a cartoonist, but um, I ultimately ended up being a graphic designer. And one of the best things you can do as a graphic designer is you can avoid kind of a house style, so to speak, which means that you can avoid um, really... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You can avoid... Um... You can avoid, like, saying, like, making stuff that looks like this or like that. You can make a lot of money doing that kind of stuff. And you can inject your own style into things. But the more you can kind of even yourself out, the more people just hire you. Because they have no doubt that, like, you'll be able to slot in and do something exactly to their style. Instead of having to redefine it as your own every time. And in, but in something like animation specifically, which is a much more liberally creative art, like creative art field than graphic design, believe it or not. Graphic design can be creative, but it's more often than not a utility that people need less than a animator was like that is pure art that's like make cool shit to sell toys to kids lots of times and by defining his own style and making such clear and leaving such a clear body of work he has like created this thing where you see where if you've seen his show and you rec- and you have been told or recognized that that's him, every time you see something, you're like, oh, that's also him. Another, um, oh, I forget the name of it. Um, Koku. Koku. And it's actually not on this list, which I'm surprised at. I'm kind of looking for it. But um, Koku, which is a, you probably haven't seen Koku. It's a show on Amazon Prime because it was a Noitomata show. I think it came out last year. No, I think it came out in 2016. I really don't see it on this list, which like disturbs me because it's a really interesting show. It's clearly a show that I'm not sure if it was directed by him because once again, it's not on this list. This list is wrong. Um, 
but it definitely has his character designs and like his sensibilities to that show. It's way less florid in terms of camera than his shows have been in the past, which I think is really interesting and good. Like I think that like being less in that show is makes it a better show. And it's got a really interesting premise. But it but it it stands out as like a show that he definitely made. Also has a amazingly bitching opening. Um it it uses this song called named called Flashback by Miavi and it is once again if you haven't seen the show for the um the opening for Koku, even if you don't watch the show, even if you don't care about the show, go watch the opening for this show. I can't stress it enough. Dimension W is an incredible opening. Koku is an equally incredible opening in a entirely different direction and it's also amazing. So like if you haven't seen that before, I'm very happy for you. And um lots of you may have seen it because um Gigguk, um Gigguk A V from of YouTube fame obsessed over it when it came out because it rightfully so, he's like, this is a real banger and he is completely right. He's also he's down in the dumpster with me because he has I'm so happy more people are being exposed to the nightmare hellfire that is domestic girlfriend and he he ran into that show and it's just really funny to see someone else go through that show because it's fucking hilarious um and also a nightmare but yeah so I know I started out this show and I've well, almost definitely just type to title this Wizard Barrister just because it's easier. But, um, this guy has been making, Yasumi Umetsu has been making, has been like putting him, like his weird self into shows for decades. And he's kind of, the places where he's really knocked it out of the park are places where he's not doing whole shows. Where he's doing, like, openings and endings, and, um, his whole shows are just kind of bizarre. (laughs) And have this, like, over-the-top anime-ness to them that even anime fans are like, Yeah, I like that show, but it was fucking weird. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting to me as someone who has follow anime for as long as I have to have a creator that I to have, a, to have an anime director who has hopped around a bunch and who I still have seen a lot of his shows and I know I don't talk about directors often but I I recognize this as one of those the Wizard Barrister as one of those shows as one of this guy's shows I looked it up I'm like oh yeah Yasumi Umetsu he made Mezzo Forte he made this other stuff this other thing let me go affirming that he made Koku but he definitely made Koku let me double check that because now I'm paranoid because I don't want to say something horribly wrong Koku Anime. You gotta type anime and stuff now because, oh my god. Um. No. Um. Damn it! That's not what I wanted. I didn't want to be the beginning. I need to put two Ks in there. Kokoku is the actual name of the show. Um. So let's go to 
the Wikipedia entry. Or the, that'll give me the name of the person. Um, directed by... Oh, it was actually... Um, Koku was, took place in... Um, it was released in 2018, so... I'm not too far off by that. Um... Produces Twin Engine, Barcaster, Studios, of course. Really? My email list doesn't give you the director? That blows. Yeah, this will give me the director. Written by. Published by. Oh, it was not directed by him. But it feels a lot like it should be because it has this look. And so that's a great point, actually, is that Yasumi Umetsu has such a style, has such a recognizable style, that I'm sure, I'm sure, because I know I can't, I know for a fact I can, that people are capable of emulating it. That you, that if you walked into an animation studio and to a to an anime studio and you said, "Hey, we want to make this show look like a Yasuomi Umetsu joint," an animator will look at you and be like, "I totally get what you're saying, but why? <laughs> like, why do you want that? <laughs> that seems that seems up a wall." Um, but maybe you did character design. Um, but it, it just, it, it struck me that I hadn't done many episodes about specifically a creator and specifically what that looks like when creators have a long life in anime. Uh, and a, not just a long life, but a long and extremely diverse life. Because um, Yoshiaki Tomino, he's just a guy who hates, aunt, who hates otaku and makes fucking Gundam. Which I know sounds insane, but trust me, he really doesn't like otaku. And he's really into Gundam. Um, and oftentimes anime, anime in particular and animation in particular becomes a home to people who can't get their vision made elsewhere. So it makes sense that, um, Yoshiaki Tomino would just be like, well, nobody will give me budget to make giant robots in space in real life because that's too expensive. So I'll just go make anime for the rest of my life. And also, like, tell an entire convention to go fuck itself <laughs> at the opening ceremony. And oh, so either it's kind of like that, or it's largely like something like um, Studio Ghibli, where they have this ubiquity to a lot of their work where it's not necessarily all based on the same thing currently certainly or based on the same um what's the word for it based on the same or or had the same or it had the same theme or um similar themes that run through those work um that is certainly true of a lot of the Studio Ghibli stuff. But uh, for one guy to kind of make a show that's like for the people with magic, but also make a show that's about a group of criminals that can or cannot have sexy times with each other and the enemy, or make and then make a show about a preteen assassin and, you know, work on an opening for a, you know, cyberpunk thriller show, for, like, a 
okay cyberpunk thriller show and then do character design for a show like Megazone 23 Part 2 and just a lot of that is a lot. That's a lot of stuff for one person to roll through doing and I'm sure there are other people that have a really diverse body of work because working as an animator requires that because um a animation is not a is not a field that most people can do as a solo pursuit especially at the scale that something like anime is at what I mean by that is you can't you can't make the thing yourself. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, what about um Makoto Shinkai? And yes, Makoto Shinkai makes these big expansive things, but he doesn't make but as much as the misses, like he's this one man army and he makes the shit by himself. That's not necessarily true. He has help from not a massive team, but like a small team of people who do their best to support him. Like, you know, he there are voice actors, voice actresses, you know, compositors, all this kind of stuff. People who do Foley work, which is sound effects. People who do soundtrack work. Uh, all the bands that agree to allow their tracks to be used in a, or ma mainly the road wimps who allow their tracks to be used in something like your name. And so, it takes, it takes talent to be able to, it takes not just skill and talent, but a lot of skill and talent to be able to break out of that and get your own show and your own, and get not just one show but multiple shows. I mean, I have no doubt that um, Uematsu will make more stuff. It doesn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all if next season I'm like, oh, there's another show by the dude who makes people with Chinese skin. Um, and. If for no other reason than just the kind of infamy of the shows he's worked on. And, and good and bad. And it's... And I, I want to I stress that I don't think that Yasumi Yumetsu is like the premier director of anime or anything. I don't think he's being snubbed or any of that. I think he's kind of right where he should be with the kind of level of quality he's produced over the years. But what I also think is that it's impressive that he's been able to produce that quality and, like, continues to, like, just get shows and make shows and have ideas and have ideas that are fairly different from his previous ideas. Or if he his previous idea was in some way a compromise, do his best to remake that as a different thing, like um he did with Mezzo DSA, uh, which once again, it, if you're gonna watch Mezzo, you might as well just watch Mezzo Forte because it's gonna be weird either way. One way has sex in it, and that makes it slightly better. Um, and it's just I I find I find it interesting, and I I try not to get super navel-gazy on this podcast, but I, I usually actually probably I get really navel-gazy on this podcast by accident, and I'm sorry for that. But it's I, I think it's important to think about where where anime is coming from and the kinds of people who are 
who are making shows in now, in now the 2000s because they will most likely keep making shows in the 2000s and the people who have made shows in the past are certainly influential in some way like um and they they're all cyclical and they all make these decisions in their shows that influence each other like um for as flawed as Mezzo DSA can be, it has an interesting view on what the future could be. And I would bet I would bet money that eight that like the A to B on him directing the opening of Dimension W is somebody was like, Well, Mezzo's kinda like Dimension W. Why don't we give it to Yasuomi? <laughs> And somebody was like, yeah, that makes sense. Call him up, see if he's doing anything. And that that's how a lot of that happens. And that's how a lot of stuff in a lot of entertainment happens. Like, if you're one of the people furious about, like, why did they choose Scarlett Johansson for this? They were just, for, for Ghost in the Shell live action, they are just trying to sell tickets. Ha ha, it backfired. I don't see why, how they could ever have seen that. Um, by the way, if you want to listen to me and my cousin puzzles through Ghost in the Shell live action, that is also in the podcast feed a couple down by the, by now, probably. You can go check that out. It's a lot of fun. We uh, we had a lot of fun being f- deeply confused by that fucking movie. But if, you're, but if you're thinking to yourself, why did they choose Scarlett Johansson for this? Who saw what to make her be this, to, like, think that she could be Makoto Kusanagi in this, in this movie. And all I would say to you is go watch a clip from The Avengers, where she's Black Widow, and then watch a clip from, I forget when it came out, but this movie named, called Lucy, where she basically plays this, like, all-power, she plays this girl who is forced to do a drug run and the drugs get in her and she becomes this all-powerful, like, being, like, God-type being. And watching those two things and mixing those two things in your head, it doesn't take long before, like, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, the A to B on that, that makes a lot of sense. And I said that when they originally cast it. Like, I'm, like I know that they were trying to cast someone who would make box office sales. Clearly, that failed. But I also know that they wanted to do something... Uh, they, that they that they wanted to do something... They wanted to give the character to somebody who they thought they could pull it off. Because the movie... Fa- if these... So, here's the thing is... That nobody, who very few people at least, who is building any kind of entertainment property, wants it to fail. Especially in the AAA movie and anime world, because everybody's putting their put putting their chips on this thing in the on the roulette wheel, and they want to give it the best chance that they'll that they're betting right as possible. So, if you see a if you see a casting choice in a live action adaptation, you're like, what the fuck? And sometimes the answer is as easy as, you know, cast, like casting is racist and it's based on box office poll. But oftentimes, there's something more to that, and it's about trying to give character to the best person overall and oftentimes yes there's racism and sexism and jingoistic bullshit that goes into that but there's also an attempt at like well people like Scarlett Johansson and she's played this character and this character so if we put her in, we know that character's in there somewhere. We just need 
have the right director to pull it out. And I, so another film we taught me and Danny talked about was lost in translation and off camera. I said to him about that. I'm like, so, so Danny, you want to talk about a bad movie with Scott Johansson? And he looked at me over Skype, hesitated for a moment, went like, yes. And then I gave him Ghost in the Shell, and he, um, <laughs> he was really befuddled. <laughs> I think what he said to me was, this was not a good movie, but at least there'll be a good podcast. <laughs> and then we proceeded to, like, kind of politely rip that movie a new one over and over again. Um, and also not so politely, but... So the probably the gist there is that Scarlett Johansson is not a bad actress, but she's a bad actress when there's a bad director and like there's like a bad there's bad editing and like someone's not using her in using her as a character actor in the right way, I guess is the best way to put it. Um and that's true of, like, and all that stuff I just mentioned is true of animation as well. So, once again, choosing Yasumi Umetsu for the Dimension W opening, they look at Mezzo and they're like, this is here, like, he is capable of doing this. I bet over, like, a 12-episode, I think, Mezzo DSA, they're like, it might be actually 24 episodes, which is insane. Um, I don't think I've seen all 24 episodes of that, although I'll have to check. But, um, he has, they, they see that, and they're like, oh, if he can, like, reach this level of quality over for 24 episodes, I wonder what he could do if we made him animation director for a scene that's, for us, for an opening that's less than a minute. Let's see what he can like what he can do with that. And when so to give you an idea and I recently ran into a bunch of my animation cells, which I found extremely interesting. I I kept them. Uh, animation is really work intensive, directing it, drawing it, all of it. So if you have to do that over, say, twenty four episodes eventually fatigue sets in eventually it's like a race to the finish line eventually you're just you know plugging it you're just plugging away at it and it's not it's not special it's a job but if it's if it's um not just your job but you have a limited space for it and you can succeed at it then you can really succeed at it because you only have to do it for so long. Like, you're, you're only directing something that's less than a minute long. You're not directing 20, 24 sets of 22 minutes apiece. That's grueling compared to once or twice for less than a minute at a time. That that's like that's awesome. And also the so the uh, core difference in the way that anime is made from the way traditional animation is made, because what traditional animation starts with is the soundtrack. And I know I'm being really pedantic, but put up with me here. Um traditional animation starts with the soundtrack. And then meaning like the music, the dubbing, all that shit. It's a little different now, but traditionally that's how you do it. And then animators animate to that. So when you see, say, the genie in the original Aladdin, um, and you see Robin Williams making that, um, and you see, and it seems like Robin Williams is really talking, it's because they animated to him instead of the other way around. 
And in anime, generally, it's the reverse. They do the animation first, and then they do bring in the voice actors and all of that stuff. Um, they do do that in some modern American cartoons now, but it traditionally it's supposed to be VO and soundtrack first, and then animation. And in a anime opening or ending, it's a lot closer to that because you're just working with a basic soundtrack most time and you're trying to animate to that soundtrack. So it's a lot more freeing and a lot easier for the animator to really knock it out of the park because odds are that's what they were trained to do. That's the way they were probably trained to animate at some point in their career, in the, uh, before their career started, so they can really kind of let loose and have a ton of fun with a really good, catchy soundtrack opening song. And um, this is kind of where I'm going to end it, but thank you for sitting, for, um, sitting through my fake Wizard Barrister's podcast that turned into a... Yasuomi Ulimatsu free for all. Um, if you like this podcast, I encourage you to subscribe on your podcast app of choice and leave me a five star review. That really helps the show. Also, tell your friends about me or my podcast. And you can also find this podcast and all of the stuff I all the places and stuff I used to talk about anime on the internet at a little site called lunchboxpublishing.com. There'll be a link for that in the description of the show, as well as on my Twitter and my Instagram and the places on the internet. Um, but until next time, I've been Alex, Lunchbox Radio, and I'll be talking to you.